Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. Welcome to another fun-filled episode of the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and this time around, we are not looking at any sort of just single issue of anything. Why? Because, well, because it's my show, and we're going to do it that way. But when I say we, I don't mean just me talking to you. I mean I brought in two, yes, two guests for this episode— because, quite frankly, it's going to be a more-than-one-person job. And what kind of job is that, you say? Oh! Well, if you didn't read the uh, show notes, we're going to be talking about some little no-name guy called Alan Moore. But before we go too much further, let me introduce my guests, the co-hosts of Married with Comics and The Rod Pod, Jonathan Schaefer Hames and his much more talented wife, Maggie. <laughs> hey, that's us. Yay. Hi, Clinton. Hi, Clinton. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Drag. John. Hi, Maggie. Talk Hi, Delvin. Hi, Delvin. Hi, Delvin. <laughs> so, huh, I would like to thank you both for being here today. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having us yeah. on. You've been with, on our show twice. This is, I think, the first time we've been on Coffee and Comics, right? We were on, Indeed. yeah, the first time on Coffee and Comics. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. First time on Coffee and Comics. And in fact, Maggie, you are the first female voice to be on Coffee and Comics. So congratulations. Yay. Awesome. It only Happy took... You're representing. Yeah, it only took, you know, 40-something episodes. Uh, <laughs> we had our... a woman on our first show. We're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the token female. That's all right. There's We're in short supply these. Well, you know, Stella has an aversion to half of my entire premise so <laughs> oh she doesn't like coffee exactly yeah is she a communist <laughs> oh she's a good sport communist not liking coffee. coffee okay so to bring us back around to alan moore first i guess we should probably uh, define exactly why we got on this topic recently thanks to john and maggie allowing me to return to their show we talked about Jimmy Olsen and kind of educated Maggie on how much joy she should have for young Mr. Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> but our discussions kind of you know, wound around to talking about whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. And with a little bit of extra prodding from me, Maggie has finally read the story. Yep. Yeah, you last week today you sent her a text just basically demanding she reads read it. it. Read and it she now. She gets up and right. goes and gets it and starts reading it. I've been trying her to get her to catch up to the current run of Daredevil since after the first one came out, and she's like, "I'll get to it." <laughs> Clinton, one thing. All right, fine. A story by Superman that's gonna make me sad. I'm all over that this I morning. I know. I don't know. I don't know why. I cannot defend myself, but it just seemed like a good idea in the moment. So anyway, I kind of uh, had a question about Maggie's thoughts and how it related to certain other Alan Moore works. And since I was apparently being a bully and forcing topics onto their show that they already had planned out, (laughs) and since I had kind of wanted John and Maggie on this show anyway, it kind of all worked out in our favor. Well, we'll see. We just started recording. Plenty of time left to ruin this entirely. Alrighty, so jumping right in, for anybody who is still with us and has absolutely no idea who in the world Alan Moore is, really? You're listening to this show and you don't know Alan Moore? My cat, I, I, so, sorry, my cat just looked up when you said that, so he doesn't. 
tell him. All righty. So for the cat's education and for all the dear listeners who might actually still be new to comics, we're not picking on you, I promise. Alan Moore is basically considered to be one of the greatest, if not the absolute greatest, writer of comics of the late 20th century. He's known for writing such world-renowned things as Watchmen, the aforementioned Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, everybody's favorite Barbara Gordon story, The Killing Joke, uh, other things that might not be quite as well-known, like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Lost Girls, a little thing called V for Vendetta, so on and so forth. And before we delve much further, I'm going to say two very, very concrete things of my opinion. One, Alan Moore can write some darn good stories. For two, Alan Moore, because (laughs) the man signed the contracts, the man signed the checks. I don't want to hear any more whining. Okay. Yeah, there's a bit of that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... John and Maggie, I have uh, you read a few things by Mr. Moore? I've read uh, I've read a bunch by, by Alan Moore. I think the first thing I ever read by him was probably Killing Joke. Uh, moved through Watchmen, V for Vendetta. I remember reading fairly early. Uh, I got the Swamp Thing collection a while ago. Read all of that. Read through League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, from Hell, I read later. Later on, I enjoyed that. Uh, I kind of fell out of fell out of love with him in the middle of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and which he finally just finished right before he quit comics forever. But Maggie, you read you've read a lot by him. Yeah, I probably I, um, <clears throat> I probably would have read View for Vendetta first. I read View for Vendetta and Watchmen both in response to the movies that came out. I think I was in high school when both of them came out, somewhere in there, um, and really liked them at the time, although I haven't read them since, so I don't know if my opinion of either of those has changed. Um, I did just very recently read Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Um, I love Alan Moore's Swamp Thing very, very much. I did not know that he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which I haven't read, but I saw the movie and didn't think much of it. <laughs> yeah, movie okay. Much resemblance to the to the comic. I can I can understand that. Yeah, I can see that be the case. You mean the movie that caused uh, Mr. Connery to go live with the Longbox Crusaders? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, poor Connery. Not much of an old tiger in the end, but whatever. Well, he wanted to. He got offered Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings, supposedly turned it down because he didn't know what a gamble, what a Gandalf is. <laughs> and saw Peter Jackson made $23 skillion off of it. So he said, all right, fine. I'm going to take the next movie that I don't yep. understand, which happened to be league of extraordinary gentlemen. And after he hated that experience so much that he basically quit acting. Hmm. Yep. This is not a, an exaggeration either. Okay. So Mr. Moore, well, I mean, we can really sit there and nitpick on how he got into comics, but short version was he did it about like anybody else did. He had trial and error, trial and error. Oh, I guess I – sorry, I skipped over my introduction to Alan Moore. Uh, when I was a far too young child, I <laughs> read some issues of Swamp Thing that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> so – other than that, the first time I actually knew I was reading Alan Moore was probably The Killing Joke. And then it just kind of spiraled on from there. But yeah, Mr. Moore has gotten into comics the same way as anybody else with his trial and error efforts. Um, wrote a little thing that a lot of people are controversial over called Miracle Man or as it's known um, in England as Marvel Man. Sorry. We just know it as Miracle Man to help avoid copyrights. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, is, was that a copyright issue or did they just change the name too? Cause I think Marvel now has the right to Marvel Man, right? The old. Uh, yeah. They, they can do the reprints and all that. Right. Hmm. 
I don't I don't think we've read Marvel Man Miracle no. Man. That that's his deconstruction. I'm sure we're gonna hear that word again later in this episode. His uh Oh yeah. His deconstruction of the Captain Marvel Shazam. Hmm, okay. Okay. Now that becomes a complicated thing in and of itself because Miracle Man is Alan Moore's deconstruction of Marvel Man, which is the scientific spoof on the magically based uh, Captain Marvel Shazam. And the main reason Marvel Man even came into existence was because there were no more Captain Marvel stories to reprint. Okay. <laughs> it was such a popular strip and they ran out of stories. So they're like, oh, well, let's just make our own, but different. <laughs> and they read exactly like Billy Batson Shazam stories. I am woefully um, unread on Miracle Man. I did read the famous uh, Miracle Man versus Kid, Kid Miracle Man fight, which mm -hmm. is tense comic book that I recommend if you're in the mood to be depressed, but it's a very good comic. I think that's the case for most of Alan Moore's stuff. Is like if <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, that's not true. There's, there's at least one thing you can read if you don't want to be overly depressed. You can read Lost Girls if you want to be a pedophile. <sighs> oh, no. That was my official no, um, end of him. I picked up the first issue of, of Lost Girls in the comic stop, or I, I burn stole it. That's what John Byrne has said. If you were reading a comic in the comic store, it's akin to stealing. So we oh. call that burn stealing. Burn stealing. Uh, I read through it. I got about four pages into it. I saw a panel. I closed the book. I put the book back on the shelf, and I haven't really thought of Alan Moore all that much since then. <laughs> well, at least Moore himself will say that it is actually his own dabbling in pornography. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to be to be impressed, he's actually honest about it. I honestly figured he would be sitting there trying to defend it as some kind of no, it's high art and you just don't get it. Mm -mm. Yeah, I don't think you should read Lost Girls, Maggie. No, I already read Killing Joke and that was bad enough. It's a different sort of bad. Yeah. Uh, for everybody who is like in the least little bit in the dark on this uh, Lost Girls is essentially Alice in Wonderland, Dorothy Gale and um, Wendy from Peter Pan all meet together and swap stories of their sexual exploits while underage and in it, some cases incestuous yeah. why? why? why write that story? why tell Hash, that? hashtag because Alan Moore Oh, he, was, yeah. he was just kind of riding high in the success of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a <laughs> bunch of, well, the comic itself is an adult um, take on various literary characters. Right. And in that, there's a lot of uh, sex of the kinky variety. Well, let see, that's all people mean when they say it's an adult version of something. They just mean sex. That's yeah, that uh, that's generally where it gets. I, I'm being a little unfair to it, at least in the beginning. It is a much more mature take on them. It's got, like, Mina Harker is is the main character from uh, Dracula. She is playing someone who is basically going through the PTSD of having experienced Dracula. Right, yeah. And and also, and, and she's a very, you know, give her credit, she's a very strong uh, female character who don't need no man. Mm -hmm. What she needs is to be reminded of the horrible fact that she's um, got, that she's has repressed sexual longings for Dracula. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we got right back to the sex again. Told you. Yep. Yeah, that's to say nothing of the invisible man raping Pollyanna. I was going right. to skip that completely, but and also the um, the bit later from that, which we're supposed, which we the reader are supposed to punch the air at, where um, Mister Hyde um, punishes the invisible man for that by buggering him. Mm -hmm. We we could go back to earlier stuff before he quite gets there, but ah <laughs> uh, well. I mean, honestly, though, this this kind of leads into one thing that I was curious about, like how much of Alan Moore's work is just him retooling and deconstructing earlier concepts. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to get that with any writer, any comics writer with longevity. 
I mean, I mean, that's, yeah, that's true. But I'm not saying, you know, he's tweaked the Flash's powers or, you know, made Barry's mom's death the whole impetus behind the new version of the DC universe. It seems to be, okay, like he did the deconstruction on Miracle Man. He did a wild take on the Charlton characters, and they just had to quickly rename them to be the Watchmen. Uh, The characters in Lost Girls, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. uh, There seems to be a, a running gag here of let's take something that has already been around for years upon years and moralize it. Yeah, that's kind of his thing, especially since I'd say Watchmen, because Watchmen got him so much uh, critical and commercial success in that deconstruction of the superhero genre. The problem is, I I don't know. Yeah, my problem with the entirety of it, and I think a lot of people's is, is that that's what he just, as you said, continued to do. And a lot of things that gets lost in the conversation about Watchmen because people will say it's a de- it's a, a deconstruction of the superhero genre. What we don't focus on, it is a deconstruction of the superhero genre. And both he and other people who come since that feel the need to do that, both trying to, you know, ape his success or because they're, you know, homaging it, it's always that deconstruction. It's mm-hmm. always at the core, everybody who's doing this has some sort of awful problem. And that's what we have to focus on. Watchmen is about the people that put on costumes and they're terrible. And yet, you know, the superheroes, that's an interesting story. But that story has been done a million times since then. And it it's diminishing returns. Well, I was going to ask kind of along those lines, what about um, Garth Ennis's like the boys? Isn't that kind of a similar thing? It's sort of, you know, seeing superheroes from a different perspective and it's not a bright, happy one. It is. He, I would, uh, Garth Ennis is, is exploring different themes with it ostensibly. I, I haven't read very much of the boys and I have not seen the show yet, but, but it, that's an example of what I'm talking about. Everybody who feels the need to deconstruct the sh- superhero genre starts with that, with that place. Yeah. Which is superheroes are terrible. Mm-hmm. Right. See, I didn't even know the boys was a, a comic until after I had already seen trailers for the show. And I just really assumed somebody was taking another riff on Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I can I can totally see that. I'm interested in checking it out myself, but well, and just to finish that thought, it reminds me of something that Maggie that you said on an issue of because the conversation uh, on an episode of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get my thoughts together on this one. People, people, um, Watchmen has, and we'll get into this more. Um, really, obviously, really informed the subsequent comic books that have come out since then Mm -hmm. and so therefore something that always gets said whenever anybody's talking about batman they refer to batman's supposed mental illness because i've i've even put it this way the man saw his parents get killed when he was nine years old and thought that putting on a bat suit and beating up criminals was a healthy way to deal with that Mm -hmm. but in the maggie had pointed out in the dc universe that is a healthy way to deal with that. It's a universe full of people who put on costumes and beat up people. Right. So you can't really do that story about Batman in the universe he's in, but yet everyone does. And I think we can look right at Alan Moore as to why that is. Well, it comes down to the same uh, generalization that you know people can totally buy into Batman, but they can't buy into Superman. Yeah. It's, like, it's like you can accept that there's this guy who sleeps 10 minutes a night, goes out, does all the crazy Batman stuff, but you can't accept that there's an alien that is powered by a yellow sun. Not only that, but he's he's a successful CEO of his company, which makes him billions of dollars that he's very rarely in financial trouble over. Batman? Batman. Yeah. No, Superman. I was going to say, I thought he was done with, I'm like, mm-hmm, that's like, right. Uh, Grant Morrison put that best in his uh, his memoirs, uh, where he said, people spend so much time arguing over exactly what you said when any six-year-old kid can can tell you the answer of how this can happen. It's because they're not real. <laughs> yeah, but that, I, I'm with you on that one. Because he points out, huh, people want to deconstruct everything down to the smallest detail of uh, who sits there and inflates the Batmobile's tires. 
<laughs> Nobody does. Because <laughs> it, it's just a story. Although I did hear one time the Batmobile did lose a wheel. And I think the joke was <laughs> too. Yes. I thought that was going to go to a Jason, Jason Todd boosting tires thing. but Oh, good. Okay, so, uh, I mean, we've pretty much focused that more kind of... I wouldn't call him a one-trick pony, but he definitely goes back to the well. And that, in his defense, that may be what the publishers are asking. That may not just be him. But given his stance on a lot of things and how much, despite what anybody might want to say, the man does indeed have an ego because he very much wants credit for what he is writing when he likes writing it. You know, if if he's the one churning out these stories... Isn't he still technically responsible for where the stories start out and where they go, at least in part? Well, yes. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is Alan Moore really as prolific as what his reputation would have us believe? Is he as prolific? Like, has he written the amount of things we think he has? Because I'd say yes. No, more along the lines of, is he as big as his legend? Is yeah, is is his work the end all be all that it should be? I don't ever believe that anyone's work should be the end all be all of anything. I think that's arrogant, and I don't know if that's his perspective, but I think that that is a lot of fans' perspective. But then that closes you off to any other future portrayals or you know takes on things. Although people do seem really reluctant to accept change. So maybe that is just how they want it to be. They just want Alan Moore and his dark, dreary takes on things. Although I gotta say, his Swamp Thing, while it was dark, was absolutely beautiful. He had some. I, I'd say, I'd say that he deserve. He is as prolific. He would deserve the credit up to an extent. A lot of looking at a lot of it is because we're looking at it now over the course of his career, and the question is. It's either the what have you done for me lately, you know, aspect where people are saying you're never going to reach, you know, the highs that you did for Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Mm-hmm. And but then you couldn't shouldn't expect him to, because that is just by we're complaining all over the, the place. We can complain about specific aspects of, of that work and others, but it is undeniably a masterpiece. I mean, it's it's taught in college campuses in literature classes, and rightfully so. It it's not only a deconstruction of the superhero concept; it's a deconstruction of comic books in general. And it it was the first; it was mind blowing for myself and a lot of people to read it at the ages we did to realize comic books can do this. Yeah, that was my big impression when I read Watchmen and and V for Vendetta too. Was you know, wait, this is what comic books talk about sometimes? I had no idea. And. I think in terms of the legacy total or the the legacy of Watchmen specifically, because we're going to go in later about the sequels and prequels of it, but I'll get into more of that sort of thing when we talk about Doomsday Clock, because Doomsday Clock is definitely writing it with the the question you're asking in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll agree with you guys that the man the man can write. I'm not here trying to tell anybody that you shouldn't enjoy Alan Moore, because quite frankly, I love some Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. The man wrote some of my favorite Green Lantern stories. He's, as you said, Swamp Thing is just an absolute beautiful thing. Watchmen, we can all agree, is the masterpiece. It's not the end-all be-all on deconstructing superheroes. It's Some people read Watchmen and they get the answer without knowing the question, and then they try to imitate it. Hmm. Yes. That's a good way to put it. That is a very good way to put it. And Which, then there's. Oh. oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say we should. Also, there's, you know, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which is what, you know, started this whole thing. What, oh, yeah. what did you think of that, Maggie? I did like it. I liked whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. I thought it was really sad when Crypto died. That bothered me. But at least he didn't have, like, a pointless, senseless death. And it is just a one shot kind of bubble universe story. Um, and when you've kind of got that freedom where it's it's removed from the, the typical canon and it's its own standalone story, I, I think you're more able to enjoy things more freely because it's not like 
commenting or affecting or changing anything about the established story that you've come to know as a reader. So I, I liked that particular story. I thought that I, I thought it was really funny because as I'm reading it and John sitting in the living room with me, I'm like, Lois Lane's husband is a real jerk. I don't like this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get to the end of the book and I was like, oh. Oh, he's Superman. Well, we knew he was a jerk. And I like that it ends ends with a wink. I love the opening line, which it's not like I can quote it, but I I like the opening line about... being stories being it's an imaginary it's story an imaginary aren't story all? but aren't they all yeah i i love alan moore's style and i think he's a really good example of where people draw their lines between the person and the stuff that they create oh, good you know point. there's there's some things that nope that's not how i wanted to say it um i think woody allen is another good example where you know you might really like his movies but him as a person is kind of icky you know, and, and you have to sort of decide, does that affect my enjoyment of the art that they create or not? And Alan Moore, I think, is another good example of that, where does his... Cause I don't really know much about the guy on a personal level. I know very little about Alan Moore, and I kind of like it that way, because then I don't have that baggage with me when I read his stuff. However, depending on that baggage and what someone's done or accused of doing and things like that, you know, some of that's more important than other things, and it might really affect whether or not you want to buy their products or, you know, read their books or see their films. Um, that's more my perspective on Alan Moore is is just on the stuff of his that I've read. And then the little bits and pieces about him that I find out, I'm like, I don't want to hear it because I don't want anything to ruin it. <laughs> well, the short version on Alan Moore personally is that he divorced himself from all other adaptations of his works he doesn't want to be credited on any of the movies he refuses well he refused basically to give any okays but since all of those properties were owned by the publishers anyway he didn't have to and it it kind of irked him but at the same time his own personal politics is very anti corporation he considers himself an anarchist yeah i believe that just looking at his beard yeah that's not so for sure yeah yeah so basically he really doesn't want the corporations to make any money like especially off of his own works but at the same time he has no say in it otherwise and it irks him to no end but going back to my earlier comments alan moore signed the contracts alan moore cashed the checks not only that, but let's just, I, I want to focus on one part of this. The work that he's always talking about when he's complaining about of this and the adaptations is Watchmen. Watchmen, originally, he wanted to use the Charlton characters that DC had gotten, which would fully be him using, and it, can you imagine if it would have been them? If Rorschach, if the question forever, for, forevermore would have been Rorschach? That would have been Alan Moore completely taking another character and changing it into a way. I mean, hmm. I mean, the the question had very um, libertarian tendencies and did things he was created by Dinko, but, but he's not to the Rorschach level. Um, things like this. He did eventually have to make his own characters and do this. But I'll, the thing that always rubs me the wrong way about when he's complaining uh, is it's always about how he doesn't get any money for the merchandising. You know, mm-hmm. that, that they're making it, but also that he's not getting any any money for the merchandise. Well, Alan, you probably could have worked that into this thing called a contract that you signed with a thing called a lawyer. And that and you could have gotten a lot of the residuals if that is really your problem. It's not. You just rant. I mean, I think he I think well, I'm going to wait for that later. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, his argument is a snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. OK. Okay, so segueing on over to Watchmen itself, certainly no one ever like built upon the success of this miniseries turned graphic novel, turned movie, and did prequels and sequels and tied it into the major DC universe. Oh, wait, that's exactly what DC did. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Did I skip universes again? That's happening. <laughs> And it did it to uh, varying degrees of success. So 
I've only read uh, two of the Before Watchmen stories, so I can't comment fully on that entire thing. But from my experience, it was okay, but it really didn't add anything that needed to be said. I've read them, but I'd be darned if I can tell you a thing about them. They were just kind of there, and it was all definitely built on the novelty of having these characters again before Watchmen was. For my money, um, basically what I got out of it was, uh, what was his name, Captain Vic? I can't. One of the the earlier characters that you barely even see in, in Watchmen. Anyway, he and Hooded Justice were definitely gay. And uh, Silk Spectre, you know, the, the second one, she ran around and did a whole lot of drugs and a whole lot of sleeping around before doing the whole actual crime fighting thing. That was enough. Because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do in a mature rated book. The one, the perspective that we don't have here is Alan Moore's perspective. It's one thing to see someone from the outside and make, you know, judgments or uh, criticisms based on him. And it sounds like there's not that there's not reason for it, because it does sound like he might be uh, eccentric. Um, But, you know, it is an imperfect system that he has to work within, but he still has to work within it. Yeah, I think that's ultimately what we're getting at here. Uh, I want to I think a lot of this seemed to start. At about the same time when the movement was being pushed in the 90s to get um, Jack Kirby more recognition than he was getting, Mm. especially in like the wake of Mallrats and stuff, Stan Lee was on everybody's mind and Stan Lee was the guy still wound up being that in the perspective of most and writer and artists in general were not getting the recognition that they deserved or thought they deserved in a lot of cases that led to image comics being created for good and ill. But uh, Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby were were Alan Moore's heroes, and I think he really, really got behind that. He definitely he was one of the loudest proponents of of Stanley. But there was a a point when he went from being a proponent for for uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko to get the recognition they deserved, where he pushed back that to going to they did all the work to. I am a victim of this just like Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby were. Hmm. And that's where he kind of focused and stayed. And I imagine that it's, I was probably a lot because of it was similar to like Gene Roddenberry in the 1970s. Gene Roddenberry went from to convention to convention and was constantly approached by people who absolutely loved him, would call him a visionary, would say that they wish life could be like the way his show was. Alan Moore was getting similar things. You're the most amazing comic book writer that has ever existed. Mm. Every single place he goes, he gets that. And that's, I don't care who you are, you're going to, you know, to what your particular narcissism is. That's going to build it up to a point where you're going to believe it a little bit mm-hmm. because that's all you're hearing. And especially with the everyone wants to hear everything that Alan Moore wants to say, because if he opens up his mouth, it's going to be on the news. Now combine that with Alan Moore's general personality stuff his you know, frequent drug, drug use, his um, rather, I don't want to, or his rather strange, um, you know, religious occult beliefs. All of these things tend oh, to roll yeah. together into coming this, because a lot of it is, his show too. It, it has to be by this point because right, he knows right. it's expected to go off on a giant rant and say something controversial. Uh, and mm-hmm. like what you were saying, I well, you were on mute. <laughs> so <laughs> but about, uh, it's hard to, we don't know Alan Moore's perspective on this. And I don't think we can know Alan Moore's perspective on this because at this stage, I don't think Alan Moore really knows because when you combine the amount of, you know, showmanship mixed with, changed of skewed perspective on your own place in this with fandom, you're going to create this mess of a situation that we have with him now. Right. He very much comes across as a let's freak the normies kind of guy. Yeah. And when you're up in your sixties and still trying to do that, it, it really comes across more like the guy that, really wanted to be a hippie, but was born too late and couldn't get out to hate Ashbury. <laughs> but well, so it's like, you know, he, he tried to live it 
in, in his retired years and nobody's buying it. Well, and that's what I was saying when I when I had myself muted actually was when I had read Watchmen um, and V for Vendetta. I was an, I was just the right age for it because I was particularly particularly susceptible to new ideas that I had never you know encountered maybe before and especially when those ideas are counterculture and you're a teenager that seems very appealing. But a lot of that was because of of how old I was and and you're kind of looking for stuff to be sort of rebellious and edgy because that kind of thing is cool. And so Alan Moore is a real good fit for that, if that's what you're looking for. Um, and I, I really liked his, his concepts and I liked his writing style. Um, so it, 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 it worked for me. And, and again, that's why I'd, I'd be really interested. I should probably try to find time to read one or both of them again, because I wonder how, me maturing has changed my feelings on some of those ideas that he posits in his books. Can I, I found a quote here from Alan Moore, which kind of sums up everything I was saying and a bit of what you were saying there, Maggie. This was um, when he was recently asked about the real world political influence of V for Vendetta. Uh, this is his response. From my position, if I have had one of my ideas stolen from me and turned into yet another cash generator from some abhuman corporation, then if it has at least escaped into the wild sufficiently to be of some symbolic use to today's protest movements, that makes me feel a lot better about having written it in the first place. Hmm. So, so be, Alan? <laughs> That's a very backhanded way of saying, thank you. I'm glad you got the right idea from my work. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I was, I actually had Alan Moore on the brain recently too. Because his, well, he recently, uh, he was, he's retired from comics forever after finally finishing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And in his, you know, retirement from comics forever, he went on a giant rant about how terrible comics are, are in and are going to be now that he's gone. Uh, his daughter did. His daughter, what is her name? Amber, I think. This or Leah Moore, his daughter Leah on uh, on Twitter did point out something that I have been trying to keep in mind, and it's what we're talking about is, she, I mean, we we can call Alan Moore crazy and all of the stuff all we want because Alan Moore is a kind of a, a vague concept. We know he's a person, but when we talk about him, or we talk about anybody, we're just talking about the vacuous individual who created this, and right. we're going to rant about it in in our way. Leah Moore has to watch, sit and watch everybody call her father crazy for her entire life. And she's obviously coming at it from the place that that he is. You know, her version of events has, has been influenced rather strongly by Alan's rantings. But he he she pointed out how sad it is for her to see her father, um, who obviously loves these works. I mean, he's still at his core somewhere deep within him is the little boy who grew up uh, learning about, you know, reading Stanley and, and Jack Kirby and the delight he got. And it's, she put the impetus on the fans. I would less. So she said, it's too bad that all of this has caused him to be so bitter. Can you imagine what life would have been if rather than this bitterness, he would have just continued to be creating characters for that? he, You know, for or creating stories for characters that he's loved all of this time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that is kind of sad. But he did kind of make this boat. Yeah, I mean, that's with Internet culture the way it is now. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm with you. He's kind of the one that started out coming out saying, hey, you know, that. They cheated me. I'm so wronged. Yeah. Can't have your cake and eat it, too. Well, and if that's the kind of thing that happened to the people that he idolized when he was, you know, growing up and reading comic books, then you can kind of, I wonder if he was almost sort of expecting it to happen and was looking for it to happen and waiting for it to happen um, so that he would have, you know, something in common with those guys, although I noticed that Bill Finger wasn't—he was horribly shafted by DC. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would like somebody to point out anybody who got screwed over worse than Bill Finger. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, John's actually thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. You come back to me. All right. But Charles okay, Dickens. Okay. Oh, no. Charles Dickens, my. Charles- 
Sorry, I, sorry, I panicked. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to cover like two more things, and I know you had something to say about Doomsday Clock, John. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. One thing, there seems, to, you know, going back to like the shared themes and all that. What did you two think about the comparison between the end of whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow and the end of Watchmen? Specifically, the Clark and Lois versus uh, Night Owl and Silk Spectre kind of thing. Yeah, I can see those similarities for sure. Having read it fairly recently, I was going to say they both take place in the snow, although one's in the Arctic and one's in the yeah. you know. Mostly, I was thinking the Clark and Lois live a normal life mm. and... You know, Night Owl and Silk Spectre attempt to live a normal life. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Give me the book. Which And if you really compare the art, I mean, it's been a while since I looked at it, but I swear. I'm open up. And Night Owl look very similar. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to open up to those pages. Yeah, John's doing a flip, 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 oh, flip. Jimmy. <laughs> Flippity flip, flip. Flip, flip. Oh, that's oh, the man who has everything. this one. Let me find the ending. I think we have to read it on yes. the tablet. Okay. Yes, this is very similar. The house um, looks very similar from the end of where Beetle and Spectre oh, are trying to live sure. there. Interior, exterior, it's very much. I have never noticed this until just now. Clinton, thanks. Um, and I mean, I, you know, a lot of that falls on the artist, but more, if you've ever read a more script, he details like kevin smith level crazy oh yeah especially with gibbons i mean the two of them were absolutely two peas in a pod when it came to putting their story forward it's this it's meant to i think it is meant to remind us of that situation and lead us into thinking oh we're going to get a happy ever after but then it has that bittersweet moment at the end mm-hmm. where she's looking or where the where they or her mother is then looking at, at everything and remembering all that she's been part of and all that she's lost and she didn't get anywhere near this level of closure that that they did right and and this way we're melding superman and watchmen which leads us into doomsday clock i'll come back to my final point here in just a little bit doomsday clock um i just finished i am i was extraordinarily happy with this with, with this one uh it's a deconstruction again but uh grant morrison who knows no stranger to his own level of deconstructing things, as we've known. Uh, I thought that that he and uh, who drew that? Gary Frank. The two of them really approached this with a level with as much love and care and reverence to the original source material that they possibly could. But with that said, the entire theme of it, which I thought was put through rather well, was really pointing out and acknowledging on a meta sense the role that Watchmen has had in changing how how comics have gotten. And they did it both in-universe and out to point out that ever since Watchmen, it went right into the extreme, or <laughs> it's dark, the world is dark, so our comics have to reflect that. And it goes through cycles where they find out it's too dark. Oh, no, we have to have a happy event to bring it back to the hope. Okay, that's been around. Our sales are down. Okay, we got to do another event, and it goes through all of that. And it really, really, he really puts it out in a sense that of the importance of Superman in all of this, because I think that is the core of why Watchmen is so dark, is that there's no Superman in that universe. There's just Doctor Manhattan. There's no. Mm-hmm. It's just a sign of power, and the power is there, and it's. Uh, it's a just to be a nuclear uh, metaphor, but Superman has that degree of power, but he's here for us first and foremost. And and Clinton, have you read it? Yes. That's what did you think of it? Uh, well, it was one of those that for the first four or so issues, I really had no clue where they were going with it, but I was enjoying what I was reading. But I'm with you. It. It's really very much centered around Superman. It's, it's it, despite it being like ninety percent Watchmen based, it really is a Superman story. Mm-hmm. And I I liked it. That's that's going to be. Who knows now that DiDio's gone and DC's going to go through yet another overhaul. Mm-hmm. But before that happened, I was perfectly content having uh, Doomsday Clock be my personal epilogue 
for DC Super Superhero Comics. I didn't really feel the need to buy them anymore. That was a great ending. Yeah, and for anybody who wants a deeper dive into Doomsday Clock, I suggest you uh, look up Michael Bailey's podcast. He did a wonderful, wonderful exploration on the last few issues. Specifically, a man of inaction is going to meet a man of action. Yes, that was pretty glorious. I still need to re- listen to that second one. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so if there's really nothing else to add, I just have one final thing. <laughs> that despite all the nitpicking we've done and flat out picking on Alan Moore we've done, there are moments where he actually is self-referential and able to laugh at himself. <laughs> Have either of you ever seen the episode of The Simpsons where he is on there? Oh, yes, yeah, that is pretty damn funny. Really? Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I've not seen it, but I just I'll find the clip for you afterwards. So, so Millhouse has, has this VHS, VHS copy of Watchmen Babies yes. the B for Vacation. <laughs> and his whole thing is, Mr. Moore, which one of the Watchmen Babies is your favorite? Oh, and they, they look like, you know, Muppet babies, but mm-hmm. Watchmen characters. But what cracks me up more than anything is Bart comes up with an, a copy of Radioactive Man that Alan Moore wrote. And he's like, you wrote some of my favorite stories. And he's like, you loved it when I made Radioactive Man not radioactive anymore. And he's a heroin addicted jazz critic. <laughs> <laughs> Up and at them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll and Alan Moore drowns in we'll little check. Lulu comics. <laughs> it's it's absolutely beautiful, and you know he had to agree to do it. After <laughs> I'm sure he's read the script before because he he really does sound like he has fun playing the part. That's good. That's good because I think you know when when you're a fan you sort of look for that kind of thing. It's not exactly an apology, but it's it's like this understanding that. They know that they have these things going on. I'm a sucker for meta humor. I love, I always say that. I love meta self-referential humor and things like that. But I think when someone who's rather controversial does that, it's a good sign. It's like, it's almost like an olive branch or it's like an inside thing that they can share with their fans. Like, yeah, this is, you know, you don't know how much of it is a persona and how much of it is actually their personality or how much of it is now expected. Um, like John said earlier, Valen more to just go on rants. But when you come out and, and do things like that, it's it's showing that there's there's a humanity there. I just hope he's happy. Not like yeah. I hope he gets despite his comments, despite his actions. I hope that somewhere at the core of Alan Moore is someone who has experienced joy doing what he does because he did it very prolifically and very well for the most part over the course of his career. And I would hate to think that the bitter, angry person that we see all the time is the end all be all of Alan Moore. Yeah. That would be really sad. That would be a tragedy. He's brought a lot of joy to people to say to the same degree that Steve Ditko him. And I really hope that at some level he realizes this and that he also recognizes that things like Doomsday Clock or the or the movie adaptations, for better or for worse, they are an attempt to bring to talk about the story, to bring it to new people. Right. And, although don't don't watch the Watchmen movie, Alan, if you happen to be listening to this, because <laughs> I like the Watchmen movie. I should actually rethink I, that was wrapped up in it. My, my criticism of it are wrapped up in way more uh, Steiner or Jazz, uh-huh. Zack Snyder stuff in general. But as far as adapting the unadaptable, that movie did about as good of a job as it could, even better than I thought it could. That would be a really difficult story to take and put into film. I can imagine. Yeah. And and again, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing that he did made me want a Swamp Thing plushie, <laughs> which they don't make, which really makes me sad. <laughs> and for the man that has everything is is my favorite thing. For the man who has everything? Yeah. Alan Moore wrote for the man who has everything? Yeah, we. Yes. No, for the man of tomorrow. And for the, and man, the man who has everything? Oh, I'm catching up. I really like that one, too. No. Speaking of things that are hard to adapt, and this is a complete aside that will let Clinton end this so he can do his stuff. 
but things that are hard to adapt. The most famous uh, panel in for the man that has everything besides the I don't think you're real bit, which is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, his bit where he looks at Mongol and says burn and then heat vision appears. Uh, they've adapted the story for the Superman animated series. That scene doesn't work as well motion. When you actually see the heat vision come out and hit him, it is nowhere near as striking as just the, the original angry red eyes of anger, uh, copyright Michael Bailey, coming in and then that burn. You have... <laughs> that He got Superman in a place that Superman had never been up to that point, which unfortunately is he gets there all the time now. But that is a, a one of the best moments in all of comic books. And Alan, you, you can at least put a feather in your cap for that, man. So the short version is, while we have nitpicks, we do enjoy what we have enjoyed. And we will always enjoy those things. Yes. Because, because we're able to separate the writer from the man. So while we do nitpick, we do love you, Alan Moore, in mm. our own way. Might not yeah, be yeah. the way you want. So, <laughs> so at this so point, at this let's, point take let's take a quick, a quick promo, promo break. break. And we and will be back with the wonderful quiz for our first time guests. You are receiving a transmission from the Rod Pod. Upload pending. Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic, which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. Alright, welcome back. So, John and Maggie, are you ready for this quiz? Nope. I am ready like Sean Ross with bells on. <laughs> Hi, Sean! It's your favorite part. All right, so question one. John and Maggie, what do you consider your beverage of choice? Coffee. Yeah, honestly, I've been on kind of a coffee kick myself recently, too. <laughs> Points for my favors. <laughs> okay, question two. Betty or Veronica? Oh, no. <laughs> this is a you question because I don't know enough. Don't Veronica. Know. Yeah. Everybody claims that they want Betty. They don't. They want Veronica. Is Veronica the brunette? She's the okay, brunette. Okay, Maggie, I'll change it up. In, I'll change it up in your favor, Maggie. Archie or Jughead? Is neither an option? Archie, I guess. You married a... Archie's a redhead yeah. who... Um, like Jimmy Olsen? Yeah. And me. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm aware. Yeah. I guess if I had to, I had to choose the two of them, I would pick Archie. Okay, so question number three. Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Byrne X-Men? Wolfman Perez Titans. You haven't read either one of those. I have those. no idea what either of those things are. Mm -mm. <gasps> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll um, do the short explanation. Dark Phoenix era X-Men or basically all of New Teen Titans? Oh, oh, New Teen Titans. You've read a couple of Perez uh, X-Men. I think you would probably lean more Perez than Byrne. You think so? Yeah. But I, I can't speak for my wife. That would be dumb and And yet. <laughs> I, think, I think basically we're just adding to Maggie's reading list. That's the whole point of the, my podcast in the first place, so thanks for helping. I've already got a list that's like longer than I am tall. <laughs> 
for the record, everyone, Maggie is seven foot five. <laughs> she is. Okay, question number four. Which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live action adaptation? Swamp Thing. We just had one. I know, but they canceled it. And it's really sad and upsetting. Because <laughs> DC ruins everything. I'm trying to think. I should have had this prepped. Because I know in the past I've come up with one immediately and then forgot them. Let's see. It could be so many. There was a Swamp Thing animated series. There was. <laughs> He's been in stuff with uh, Mark Hamill voicing him, which is always a delight. I'm going to say, and we're we're going to get it now, but Moon Knight, oh, I have said yeah, for yeah. a long time, is custom made for a small screen adaptation of him. And I'm really looking forward to what we're going to get. I would kill to see a She-Hulk, honestly. Oh, we're going to get oh. that. Oh, are they going to do a She-Hulk yep. show? Awesome. I'm going to watch Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, she's also Squirrel Girl. Alrighty, so question five. Villain most in need of decaf. Doom. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. In terms of, like, a villain who needs to chill out? Yeah, yeah essentially. Starro. He crosses me. I'm going to go with Star- said St- No one's ever said Starro. <laughs> That's why I'm here. We're talking about, you know, uh, for the man who has everything. So, right? And that's Dara? No. no? Who's that? Oh, that's the Black Mercy. Sorry. Ah. Oh, I see. Mm, it, it attaches to your face and it makes it go weird. That's no. why I got the two. No, I, was, I thought you were mixing him up with Mongol. And I was like, no, oh, not with Mongol. <laughs> Although he would be another good choice. Okay, so question six. Who is the best super pet? Streaky. I was thinking Streaky. Streaky the super cat, because if Streaky was actually existed, the fact that he hasn't killed anyone <laughs> means he is a <laughs> truly super pet. Because if Cisco had superpowers here, you and I would be dead five times over just today. Walking, oh, I'm going to jump up out of your chest. Oh, you threw my chest. <laughs> I'm going to go with Ace the Bat Hound. Good job. Mm-hmm. I like Ace the Bat Hound. So question, so, question seven. seven. Who wins? Who wins? Mighty, Mighty Mouse, Mouse or the George, or the George Superman? Superman? <laughs> Can I just make the same joke everybody who's seen Stand By Me makes? Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. It's a moot question because, you know, Mighty Mouse is a cartoon and Superman's a real guy. How could a cartoon <laughs> beat up a real guy? That is my actual answer. <laughs> I hope <laughs> Oh, George, so good. Do you have an answer? Oh, I would, I would pick George just because I, I liked the show. I don't know. I saw it. He picked up like three elephants. Super Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Whenever I hear Mighty Mouse, all I can think of is um. Uh, Andy Kaufman. Andy that, Kaufman. Yeah. That is my favorite movie. Does. Okay, and the final question: Would you rather have a lifetime of cheap comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you? Or comics are highly expensive, but Doctor Doom owes you a favor. Uh, that one for, for sure. The first one. Why? Why would you want Doom to be like pissed at you? Because I imagine I would be pretty low on his list of people he's pissed <laughs> off about. So I don't I think suppose. he's gonna get around to me. He's got like, he's like, all right, once I have destroyed that accursed Richards, I shall get to Jonathan Shaker Hands. And his cheap comics, the, which also exist because of this scenario. <laughs> I think, like, the first 20 people on Doom's list is just read Richard. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So that pretty much wraps that portion up. So if you two could tell everyone out there in listener land where else they can find you on the internets and such. We do a podcast called Married with Comics, which you can find rather easily by pointing your podcatcher to the terms Married with Comics. You could even say, Alexa, play play Married with Comics podcast. Luckily, our Alexa does that if you say computer. And then it shuts. So it didn't just do it now. (laughs) (laughs) We also do it. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) 
<laughs> we also do a show called The Rod Pod, which is about IDW Phase 2 Transformers comics, which we're doing in order, and it has a bunch of skits and goofy stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. You can also find that on the Married with Comics feed. On Twitter, I am available at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. And you can find us on Facebook by looking for Married with Comics podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, once again, even though I haven't said it on air yet, thank you both for joining me here. I really appreciate it, and I hope that we uh, pretty much got all our Alan Moore Dirty Laundry aired out. Thanks for having us. Again. Yeah, thanks for I, having us on. I love recording stuff with you, Clinton, so come by our show anytime again you want. I say and then suddenly he'll be there forever. <laughs> never. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Danger All thing. Right. Yes. All righty. So I will take one more quick break for a promo for probably a show these two are on and return with a little bit of listener feedback. Hi, Maggie. What are you writing? Oh, hi, John. I'm writing down ideas for a new promo for Married with Comics. I like our old promo. But the clips from the old promo are from an episode that's never even aired. It's lazy podcasting. But we're incredibly lazy podcasters. And the only thing you've written down are the words, come up with ideas for the new promo. Well, I guess we'll just have to fall back on plan B then. Uh, B for blackmail professional podcast guest Tim Price into doing a Mephisto bit? Exactly. Greetings, internerds. It is I, Mephisto, ruler of the netherworld and prince of all evil. I am taking this time for my evil machinations to issue a warning to everyone in podcast land. Avoid Married with Comics with John and Maggie at all costs. They're a despicably lovable pair of newlyweds who talk about comic books and other areas of geekdom with enthusiasm and joy that is anathema to me. Just listen to them as they paraphrase panels. For those who don't have the issue, Thor's expression is pretty much that of anyone who reads this issue once you're done with it. You, you there, everyone's sick of this and sick of you. I am warning where you need to go, which is away from here and away from this issue. (laughs) And I do love that first panel. It's pretty neat. I like it. Batman going swoosh. Explain exposition. I have no idea what's happening. In this one, it looks like Superman's tearing a bridge down. Why is he destroying a bridge? I think this is part of his eventual reign of terror. Is oh, maybe. Another thing. It's a bridge. <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> and comment on all their favorite comics. Everything about this issue is just gollywhackers. <laughs> He's causing huge amounts of property damage, which, by the way... At least when the Fantastic Four does it, they pay the city back. Superman's not going to pay anybody back for this. Married with Comics. Available directly at marriedwcomics.libson.com on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on Facebook or Twitter by searching for Married with Comics Podcast. We've got everything you need. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with me for this lovely portion where we uh, look at some listener feedback. But first, before we start on on the feedback, I'd like to credit everybody who liked and shared us on social medias. Those people include on Twitter, John McLeod, Classic Xbooks, Jacks Webb at Spidey Memoir, Billy Delicious, Kathy Chong, Chris at BTO and Backbooks, Chris Stados. The Long Box Crusade, Comics in the Golden Age, at Team Rogers 87, Rich at 40 Years of Comics, Ja Rule, Scott Schmidt, Captain Candyman, Unstoppable Comics, Green Lantern HG, Comic Book Broadcaster, Ross Michaud, Cole Y. Mitchell, Count Venom, Not Safe for Work, Jeffrey Brown, Crustacean King 43, Radioactive Dinosaur, Booker T, Justin Sherwood, The Long Box of Darkness, Matthew Box, Warlord Worlds, Sean Ross, Little Tom 2099, At Dell Dinosaur, Hawk Lord's Dragon, Frank 
Malfiatano, Wasim, Skulger187, Silvio Brito, Bill Jordan, Travis on Infinite Earths, and Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Over on Facebook, we also had likes and shares from Max Traver, Gene Hendricks, Jerry Green, Ivan Chudley, Pat Sampson, Hal Jordan, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Al Sedano, and Tim Price. So, just as a reminder, last episode was covering Silver Surfer number 58 from the good old... We got feedback from Rich, insert something clever, at 40 Years of Comics, who said, I love Ron Lim's art. And I do too, but this definitely something else. Alan Middleton decided to tell us that this was a good episode and good advice on maybe not to buy this one. Dr. Ange told us, heard this metaphysical story recounted by you, fighting off guilt and surprising you said don't buy it? Fascinating. Joe at Joe Comic Fan said, damn, I like those crossovers a lot and I completely... Well, now's your chance, Joe. Green Lantern HG said, another great episode. I didn't read Infinity Gauntlet till some years ago, but I did read a What If issue, and it was Surfer keeping the Infinity Gauntlet, and I guess that's what got me interested in the saga. And I'm with you, HG. I read that issue as well. It was very good, very interesting. For those who are curious, it's What If, Volume 2, Number 49. Yeah, sorry. And that seems to be the feedback this time around. Uh, there were a few other mentions to me just in chats and stuff that people were kind of surprised I suggested not to get it. And to be honest, I really was just up there to the wire on whether or not to, to get it. And honestly, folks, even now, I'm still debating back and forth. So, I mean, just go back and listen to the last episode if you want to know what I'm talking about. But basically... It's right there in the middle. It's a, it's probably a much greater issue if you are a longtime surfer fan, but it is not a great issue for jumping. How does that sound? But that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you for sticking with me through this long episode. I want to thank John and Maggie one more time for showing up because goodness knows I am not always... Most fun person to podcast, king of technical issues, ha ha ha. But anyway, this has been the Coffee and Comics Podcast. And as you know, folks, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. in Ghost World. They made me feel like I wasn't so alone. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Do you know anyone who works at Batman? Because I really want to draw Batman. I'm awesome at utility belts. Check these out. This is where the Batman in case he has to take the bus. Alan Moore, you wrote my favorite issues of Radioactive Man. Oh, really? So you like that I made your favorite superhero a heroin-addicted jazz critic who's not radioactive? I don't read the words. I just like when he punches people. How do you make his costume stick so close to his muscles? Mr. Moore, will you sign my DVD of Watchmen Babies? Which of the babies is your favorite? You see what those bloody corporations do? They take your ideas and they suck them. Suck them like leeches until they've gotten every last drop of the marrow from your bones. Hey, Teacup, why don't you chill out? Very well. <laughs> oh, little Lulu, I love you, Lou, just the same.